Thanks for tuning into the Project Login Podcast. The Project Login Podcast features Mainers working in technology jobs across the state. It is meant to be a career exploration tool and follows an informational interview format. Folks from across Maine and New England are featured. CIOs to software developers to business analysts and more are on the podcast. The goals are to expose our listeners to various technology jobs at Maine companies by people who do the work and raise awareness of education and training pathways into those careers. And finally, to raise aspirations of young Mainers to pursue these high-wage, in-demand tech careers. Today's guest on the podcast is Benny Boaz. Hi, Benny. Hey, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So tell us, where do you work? All right. So I work at a company called Upright Education. So here at Upright, we equip colleges with boot camp programs. So these are accelerated, really fast-paced courses that help adult learners. So that could be folks who've already graduated college or folks who've never even been to college before re-enter the job market through a high-paying tech career. So you can imagine you take this one single program. It's very intense. It lasts about six to 24 weeks. And then boom, after you graduate, we help place you into a technology job. So what's your role at Upright Education? So I'm the CEO and founder of the company. And how did you get to where you are? I imagine you didn't just do that yesterday. So the world of tech has changed the employment landscape quite considerably, only because it's really made a lot of folks who are coming from high school or even post-secondary backgrounds really reconsider what it means to have the skills that you need to get one of these jobs. So what I mean there is before I think tech was as pervasive as it is now and tech employment was as pervasive as it is now, I think a lot of Americans were really under the assumption that the best way for them to get a leg up in their career or to even have any career mobility at all would be to go through a college or an accredited university and graduate with a degree. And while that's true and degree earners generally do earn more than non-degree earners over their lifetime, that's not always true with tech. And so companies like Apple and Google and Facebook and IBM have actually done away with the prerequisite higher education prerequisite. So you don't really need a degree to get a job in any of these companies. You simply just need the skills to be able to do the job, such as software development, digital marketing, uh, sales, data science, or cybersecurity. So what, what that means is that when I was growing up, I was always told as a first-generation American, you know, you have to go to college, become a lawyer or a doctor. That's your ticket into uh, getting out of the middle class or even getting into the middle class. And I thought that narrative was true for my entire time of college as well. So I graduated from Bennington College in Vermont. And then when I entered into the workforce, I'd realized that, this, that the courses I'd taken in college were amazing because I learned, you know, Greek philosophy, ancient philosophy. Um, I studied a bit of political science and, and even environmental studies, but that didn't really help me get a job. So when I graduated college, I realized, and I graduated sort of into a bad job market in 2014, I realized that I didn't really have any skills to land me a job at any particular company. And so I took the first job I could get, and I, was, um, and I became a receptionist at an advertising agency where I met a gentleman who worked in the UX department, and I asked him to shadow his department so that I could learn more about what UX design means, what UX skills are. And so after shadowing his department for about three to four months, I ended up in becoming a professional designer, a professional UX designer, by learning all the skills that his team taught me over that three, three to four months sort of apprenticeship. And about four years into my UX career, I sort of looked around and was like, wait, how did I get here? I didn't you know, go to college to learn these skills. I never 
you know, enrolled through university. So why am I now working in a career that I actually didn't even need to go to college to work in? And I'd realized that it happened because one person decided that he would take a chance on me and gave me an apprenticeship. And that led me into an entirely different life change in terms of a career. So the point is, is that when I, when I had that realization and I had sat there and thought, okay, well, if I could take a three to four month program and, and change the course of my life dramatically, I wonder if I could create a company that delivers three to four month programs that help other people do the same thing. And so now we, what we do at Upright Education is we help colleges deliver those programs to their, to their local communities so that folks who are enrolling from, you know, Biddeford, Maine can go to the University of New England and take a coding bootcamp or a UX design bootcamp and start their path into a tech career right away. I love that. I'm so glad that you mentioned the specific connection there about what is an opportunity that's available our listeners could know about. Did you end up collecting any special certifications or credentials like in UX or UI? Do you have a certification now? Well, that's the thing about certifications, right, and credentialing is that in the world of tech, there aren't a lot of like unified credentialing bodies. Like there aren't any standard, you know, um, universal credentialing systems. So like, for instance, you can't be a, a certified software developer because being a software developer requires a lot of different skills, right? Or a lot of different technologies that you piece together. It's sort of like saying, you know, um, I'm a certified basketball player. Well, you know, to play basketball, you need to be able to dribble, you need to be able to shoot. And you can't like certify somebody to be a certified dribbler or a certified shooter. All the skills sort of come together to make one good basketball player. It's the same thing as UX design, right? Like you could get to be pretty good at doing wireframes and mockups, but that's only one part of the job. And you can get to be pretty good at doing user research and, you, and user, uh, user testing. That's just another part of the job. So putting all those skills together, there is no like, you know, one, um, there's no one body that deems you a UX designer or not. So the interest, sure, I have, you know, random certificates from like Yale St. Norman Company and other, you know, folks who do provide certifications and facets and aspects of UX design, but you, you can't really become a certified UX designer. So yeah. uh, I don't have a certification per se that deems me qualified for that job. Yeah, but I love that analogy that that totally makes sense. And it's really all about the skills. It's what you can bring, the combination of skills that that makes you unique to do the job. So so what do you like best about your job? I mean, I run a company, right? So I have somewhere between 20 to 30 employees that work with me. And what that means is that when you're running a company, you kind of find yourself in a role that's both supportive of the team that you're with, but also in a leadership role where you also kind of have to be boots on the ground working with them. So as somebody who's very creative, you know, I got into UX design originally to be creative before I even started my company. I find the ability to set strategy for the course of the company to be very freeing and liberating. You're able to sort of make decisions based off of both business intuition, so what you believe to be the right decision for your company, as well as acquired industry knowledge or domain knowledge. So just knowing a lot about the industry itself. That being said, the, I think the best part about being a business owner is learning how to make really good quality decisions. I mean, that's a very hard thing to do is be able to know that the decisions you're making are ones that you feel confident in. The only thing that will really crush you as, as a business is not necessarily making the wrong decision. It's actually indecision. So it's really important to make sure that you're making decisions quickly because you always have to think on your feet. You always have to be able to think one step, step ahead. But making sure that you feel that those risks you're taking they're more calculated so that you, you have a little bit more data and more support behind the reasons why you make decisions. 
and it makes you better at just making decisions generally, right, throughout your life. And I, I really enjoy that part because it, it challenges your, the way you think about pretty much every aspect of your life. What's an example of the kind of decision you might make? Yeah, so for instance, a really good example of a decision is like, when you walk into work and somebody says, hey, you know, there's, we have a problem. There's a course starting in about two days. And, you know, one of our instructors, their father just passed away and we need another instructor to fill in. But if that instructor fills in, then their course is going to have to have to miss a couple of days. And then one of the things you can think about is, okay, like, how do you make sure that you communicate to everybody involved, including the students and the learners and the college partners and the um, instructors that there's been a situation that we couldn't account for? And how do we make sure that they feel on the same side of the table as us so that we involve them in the decision making so that rather than, you know, making a decision on their behalf, we sort of let everybody into the ability to know what's going on and be very transparent with the entire situation. And whether we keep that transparent or not is the decision that I'm making, you know, because I'm the opposite side of that is we just clean it up on the, in the background and, you know, hire a part-time instructor to come and fill in a couple of days. But we know on the other end of that ticket, that person might not be up to snuff, but we haven't had the proper time to adequately train them. So for us in a situation like that, that we'd face, we'd made the decision to have a class miss a couple of days and, or, and be transparent about why that's happening, make them up in the back, just be able to communicate the, the situation as transparently as possible. And what's something that challenges you? And this can be professionally or personally. I'd say the most challenging part of this job is to be empathetic. And the reason why that's really challenging is because it's really hard to know how to deal with situations when there's high volatility and emotions involved, right? So like if there is somebody who is missing their deadline or missing their goal, and you still realize that they are, you know, they're humans and people make mistakes and that mistakes happen. It's how do you make, how do you possess the forgiveness inside of you? to make sure that when you're communicating or addressing that person, that you're doing it as humanly as possible. It challenges not only your professional demeanor, because in all regards, it's always best in those professional scenarios to be as empathetic as possible, but it also makes you in your relationships with other people a bit more resilient as well, so that you can approach, you know, your personal problems, your personal situations in life with the same approach and building that patience, building that type of understanding is how you become not only a better leader, but I think just a better citizen to the to the world. Yeah, that's really good advice. What advice do you have for a young person looking to get into the IT or computing fields? So the most important thing you can think of is, so there's two things. One, just do it, just try it. You know, there's no, it, the, the time to get into one of these fields is actually kind of short, right? Like you don't need to go to a four-year program to get into, into a highly technical field. And also, you don't even need to know you want to get into that field to get to go to the program. So for instance, like there are so many ways that you can get involved in technology courses for free or in tech for free through either YouTube or free code camp or whatever the, you know, whatever the resources that you are available to online. I love that quote where it's like, you know, you overestimate how much you can do in a week and underestimate how much you can do in a year. Trying something and starting something and seeing it through for multiple months is really difficult to do, but the reward of that is so high. And the re- and so if you are looking to get into tech at all, start doing it for, f- for free for a few months on your own. If you run to roadblocks and you can't move past certain challenges, then sign up for a course and pay for the program and, and go into a course. But it's really more important to, realize, to find out if you don't like it right? Because like you can't decide in a week if you do or don't like a certain subject area. Like you can only really decide that after giving it a couple months of actually trying it maybe three, four times a week. 
And then, you know, if, if you don't like it, boom, that's two months of learning that you just had that you'll, that you'll never, that you'll, you'll always have that, you know, that will never go away. So you keep that forever. And then that's also one opportunity to identify something you did or didn't like. And if you didn't like it, move on and try the next thing. Do that for a couple months, but don't do it for a week. Don't do it for two weeks. And you don't even have to do it for a full year, but give it longer than like two weeks and, 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 and really put, put some effort into it. Yeah. What's the company culture like at Upright Education? Uh, extremely transparent. Um, we're very, very open about everything we do in terms of our, uh, our own internal policies, um, the way that we communicate with each other. Uh, every goal, every everybody's personal like goals in the company is uh, made made available to every other person. We send a weekly week memo with describing every problem and issue we're having in the company and every win we've had in the company in that week, as well as where we are in our revenue and all the other metrics of the of the of the um, organization, so that everybody knows where we stand every week in the entire company, whether you're at the very top or you know just starting out. And um, the other part is that the transparency really comes from our um, our dedication to student outcomes, like we're really focused on placing students and we're transparent in the way that we report and document those outcomes so that, so that A, we can, you know, advertise and market those, our placement rates, but B, because student centricity inside of an organization that is dedicated to professional development is insanely important. Like there is no purpose of running. If you're going to run a workforce program, you should have an ROI, like a return on your investment. And you should be focused on delivering that ROI. And if you aren't focused on delivering that ROI, then you have no business doing workforce. And we can only provide that level of student centricity, that level of student care by being absolutely open book with our policies, our, our, our outcomes, our placement rate, our acceptance rates, our data, and just everything that has to do with student life. Are there internships, job shadows, or other opportunities for students? At Upright, always. Like we're always looking for folks to help us in marketing. So if you ever know anyone who wants to come in and do some internship marketing, I think we're going to start our internship programs coming coming up this um, this winter. So I think it's like February. Um, we also have a big employer network. So we have we work with about 150 employers um, nationwide. So um, if you're interested in getting jumping into your first career in tech, talk to us. Um, we might know where areas where you can go into and explore for free before you pay for one of our programs. Um, or we might know where you can start with an internship. But generally, you know, if you're looking for an internship, don't go for where the money is, go for where the learning is. Like when you're looking for your first job, Try to go for the place where you think you'll learn and grow the most. Don't always go for a place that will give you the highest paycheck because um, in the long run, you know, one year of not learning for, you know, $40 an hour is, is a lot more expensive than one year of significant growth for $20 an hour. We are at the last question, which is what is your favorite place in Maine? Georgetown, Five Islands. So I actually grew up in Bath, Maine from the ages of, I think, like five or six to 11. My parents used to own a bed and breakfast in Bath, Maine, uh, right on Washington Street. So we used to have a lot of guests who'd come from all over. We had Matt Groening from The Simpsons Day with us and a whole bunch of other folks. Like we've had, I think, I think uh, Sophia Coppola, you know, the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola stayed with us. The cast from, um, from that movie, uh, Message in a Bottle. Um, so we had like a whole bunch of people stay with us in, in Bath, Maine. And every time that we somebody would stay, they'd say, hey, like you should go check out this place, Five Islands in Georgetown. So, you know, maybe our first or second year living in Maine, we went there. And it's just the most magical spot in the entire state. Like it's, they have a lobster sort of catch right off of the uh, off of the dock there. They literally, they create it right up and, and boil it right in front of you. And then you eat it on the dock with the picnic benches. But what's really crazy about that spot is I'd recently went back a few times. I'd gone back last summer and the summer before. And I'm so used to like yuppies like me who live in New York City spoiling everything with our 
with our yuppie urban attitudes. Um, you know, you see that so much in like, you know, Cape Cod and like, you know, and all over the shores and, and Long Island. And, you know, what's the best part about places like, you know, Five Islands, Maine is that you don't really see many of me around there. You know, it's still very local. It's uh, Maine in a lot of ways feels really unspoiled, but that area feels very unspoiled. So it's like, it's, it's a really cool place to sort of get out if you're from where I live and not have to run into people that you know. <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope to see you in Maine this summer and we'll be in touch. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Angela.